I turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. Again, my name is Brian. Uh, Todd is out of town this week, so I'm filling in the pulpit for him. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our summer series titled Life-Changing Encounters with Jesus. And as the video so wonderfully portrayed, today we see Jesus' encounter with an unnamed woman at a well. And th this story is incredibly significant. Uh, not only is it the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with anyone ever in Scripture, including his disciples, but it's the first time we see Jesus reveal himself to someone to be the Messiah. And for him to do so to a woman of another race, a different religion, an outcast, looked down upon woman, it, it's almost impossible to believe. In this story, we see Jesus breaking barriers and digging wells to transform the life of a woman trapped in a cycle of sin and shame. We see Jesus willing to cross any barrier necessary to reach lost people, and we see him go to the deepest, darkest depths of a person's heart in order to transform their life. Jesus frees this woman at the well to a life she never imagined possible, and he's continuing to write this story time and time again in the lives of people all around us, even to this day. Jesus breaks barriers and Jesus digs deep wells so that we can live lives of worship and witness overflowing with living water. So let's walk through this story together. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So if you take a look at this map here, Jesus is, is down in Jerusalem, and he's heading towards Nazareth, and it would seem like the most direct path is through Samaria, through Sychar, but Jews in that day did not pass through Samaria. They would take the longer route around, the more difficult route around Samaria, just to avoid those people, a people with whom they had a 500-year history of hatred and conflict. But Jesus breaks through barriers. He had to pass through Samaria because he was on a mission, right? And there was a life-changing encounter to be had. So look at verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So I love when we catch glimpses of Jesus' humanity in the Bible, right? He's worn out. He's tired from travel. So he sits down to take a rest. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read stories like this about Jesus breaking barriers, about him ministering to outcasts, I think to myself, well, of course he does that. He's God. Of course he goes out of his way to break cultural barriers. Of course he extends love and grace to people who are different than him. He's God. But I don't know. That kind of life, that level of love, that, that seems beyond me in my natural ability. So it's in stories like this that, that Jesus is showing us how we too, if we're in him and he's in us, how we too are to live. So as his people, we go out of our way to love and care for hurting and broken people. 
for people who feel outcast and marginalized by society. As his people, we identify barriers that keep people out, and we break through them with the power of Jesus to invite them in. The way we see Jesus interacting with this woman at the well is how we too, as his followers, are to interact with people, especially those who are outcast, especially those who feel trapped in a cycle of sin and shame. Jesus' life is our life. His love is our love. His mission is our mission. So let's tune in closely today. This is for you. Jesus has a word for you. Let's tune in closely as we learn from him today. Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a male Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So in this interaction, we may not understand it today, but if we lived back then, in this interaction, we see that Jesus breaks through significant, unprecedented barriers of gender, race, and religion. So as the text says, Jewish men in that day did not talk with women privately, nor would they even greet a woman in public. Women in that day were undervalued. They were considered inferior, a, a lower class. So Jesus' interaction with this woman is radical. Culturally, it's unacceptable. But that's not all. He doesn't just break through a barrier, a barrier of gender inequality, but also of racial and religious privilege. As the text says, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There were literal divisions between these two groups of people. But here we see Jesus cares for people more than he cares about staying inside man-made cultural boundaries. Jesus intentionally crosses these barriers to show us that God is for everyone, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of social or economic status. Jesus is for everyone. The true and living God is a uniter, not a divider. He's a barrier breaker, not a barrier builder. And our God is seeking people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Do you believe that, Melanie Park? That our God is seeking people who are radically different. All throughout the Bible, we see God pursuing the most unlikely people, don't we? He lovingly pursues outcasts. He pursues the weak people of the world. He pursues the unable. And he pours his power and unfolds his plan through weak people, through outcast people. God's vision and values are countercultural, or perhaps I should say they're kingdom cultural. So upon Jesus' arrival into this world, the, the kingdom of God was ushered in. And in God's kingdom, there's no racism. In God's kingdom, there's no gender inequality, no religious, economic, or social divides. Jesus came to create one new community, Jew and Gentile, male and female, mighty and marginalized. And as God's people, we're not just called to proclaim God's kingdom, but to display God's kingdom through the way that we live. 
So through our interactions together as a local church, and as we interact with people outside of our church, we show the world what God's kingdom looks like. So like Jesus, there must be no barriers in our own hearts towards people who are different than us. There must be no barriers in our homes towards people who are different than us, and no barriers in our church towards people who are different than us. The culture of God's kingdom is unity in the midst of radical diversity. Diversity of age, of color, of status and background. And throughout Jesus' life here on earth, we see him breaking down barrier after barrier, showing us glimpse upon glimpse of what God's kingdom is like. In part here now, one day coming in full. But if you look around our world, it looks very different from God's kingdom, doesn't it? It seems that we live in some of the most divided times that have ever been. Some people are intentionally putting up barriers to keep people out, and other people have unintentionally allowed barriers to build up in their hearts that play out in their lives. So going through the inventory process of regen. I mentioned a little, a little about it last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to it just to start to learn more about it. But, but going through the inventory process of regen, um, there was a whole bunch of stuff that the Lord brought to the surface in my own heart. And one thing was that I realized that I had developed some barriers in my own heart towards people who were different than me, uh, specifically people of a, of a lower socioeconomic status who looked and talked and lived different than I did. You know, growing up my whole life, I was part of the dominant culture in whatever city I lived in, whatever school I went to, and whatever church I was a part of. When I would look around, pretty much everyone looked like me, talked like me, and had similar experiences to me. But when we moved here to Lubbock a year and a half ago, our, our, the school that our kids in now is predominantly people who do not look like me who do not talk like me, and who don't have similar experiences to me. And if you asked me at the time I was going through inventory, I, I would tell you that I wasn't prejudiced, that, that I didn't look down upon certain people. But taking a deep look into my heart and into my thoughts would tell you otherwise. I, and I had to be honest with myself that as I went through inventory, that I had some stuff in my heart that was creating barriers towards the way that I interacted with other people. But the Lord so graciously as he does, right, he uprooted some of those sinful attitudes in my heart that I realized were affecting how I interacted with other people, other image bearers of God who just happened to look and talk and live different than me. And perhaps I'm not alone in this. Perhaps there are others this morning in this room who have unintentionally allowed barriers or intentionally put up barriers to protect you from people who are different than you. People who look different, talk different, think different, live different. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to walk through that and work through that this morning. But thank God that's not how Jesus interacts with us, right? Because if it was, none of us would have been invited near. He would have stayed away and looked down upon each and every one of us because we are all different from the Holy perfect triune God. Amen to that? Jesus breaks barriers. 
and ushers in the new way of the kingdom of God, a way in which women are elevated and honored, a way in which race and ethnicity don't divide us but unite us, a way in which people with sinful, shame-filled pasts are set free and empowered to live new lives in Christ. So let's look at verse 10, and we'll start to see what this looks like. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the Bible talks about living water in other places as well. Uh, One in particular is Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. So let's take a look. It says, For my people have committed two evils. So here's evil number one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and evil two, have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here we see God saying that I am the fountain of living water. So why are you looking to collect water elsewhere to satisfy your thirst? It is only found in me. So don't forsake the fountain. But so many of us, if we're honest, we do. Daily, we forsake the fountain of living water. And some of us are spending our entire lives striving after things and people to satisfy our thirst. Broken cisterns of success, of power, of approval. But at the end of the day, we find that anything other than Jesus leaves us empty, longing, and desiring more. Living water, the full and forever life and satisfaction and joy is only found in Jesus. He is the fountain of living water. So as Isaiah 55 invites us, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. God invites us today to drink from the fountain that will never run dry. The woman at the well needed this water. You and I and everyone around us need this living water. Regardless of skin color, gender, background, experience, Jesus is inviting all people everywhere to come drink from the fountain. But first, before we can experience living water, Before we have the capacity to hold this water, Jesus must first dig a well down deep enough in our hearts. Or else, like a broken cistern, when the water starts coming, it's just going to flow out and dry up. So until Jesus gets his shovel and starts digging deep into the core of our hearts, into those dark, hard, unearthed places, we won't be able to experience the living water like this woman did at the well. All of us, we need Jesus to dig deep 
Because the reality is that the quickest way to the heart is through a wound. So that's where Jesus goes in this story. Like, like a good surgeon, he goes right after the deepest wound in this woman's life, the area of sin and shame that plagues her every day. But we'll see in verse 15, he does so gently, so full of grace and love. So let's take a look. Verse 15, he goes after the wound. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, I love how they did it in the video. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. And Jesus so tenderly, so gently says, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So filled with tender love and gentle care. I can just hear him speaking this to the woman. Jesus exposes the issue beneath her issue. And I think in this moment, just by the way he's interacting with her, it starts to change her. Jesus sees her. Jesus knows her sin, shame, and all, and yet he still loves her. But like all of us would, though something's starting to shift in her heart, Jesus makes her really uncomfortable, right? We all get uncomfortable when our sin and our shame begins to be exposed. So she attempts to deflect and change the topic. You know, especially in Regen, as we're sitting each week in in the small group of men, uh, I would find myself doing this very often. Whenever it started to get a little too close to my heart, a little too close to an area of sin or shame in my heart that I just didn't want to talk about in the moment, I would try to change the topic from something way less personal to something usually far more spiritual. Uh, A good book I was reading, a pastor who said this or that, a Bible study I had done, anything really to distract from the area of sin or shame that I didn't want exposed. And don't judge me, you all do this as well. Right? And so does the woman. Not unlike me, not unlike you, she smoothly shifts the topic from husbands to worship sites, from the personal that she didn't want exposed to the spiritual. So in verse 19 through 26, which we're actually going to skip over today uh, just for the sake of time, um, Jesus lovingly goes down this rabbit trail with her. And in doing so, he draws out some incredible realities about worship that, that shape how we respond to God in our everyday lives. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. As your worship pastor, I would love to have you invite me back to come teach on that. Um, But here's the one thing I'll say about worship for today. Worship is one of the ways that we can see if living water is truly flowing inside of us. Those who have encountered Jesus begin to overflow in worship to Jesus. And as we'll see next, those who have encountered Jesus begin to witness about Jesus. So look at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Again, this is a barrier-breaking encounter. But no one said to him, what do you seek or, or why are you talking with her? So, verse 28, the woman left her water jar, which was the whole reason she came out in the first place, right? She, she leaves everything and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
So to a place, think about this, to a place where she lived daily in shame, in isolation, to a people who constantly looked down upon her because of her sinful life. She goes to these people in that place and proclaims boldly, come and see. Come and see this man who sees me, who knows me, and yet he still loves me. And what a transformation this must have been. A a woman, a a looked down upon, outcast woman, confidently sharing her story of a life-changing encounter with Jesus. The Messiah has taken her mess and made it her message. She's no longer hiding in shame. She finds her voice in the freedom of Jesus' barrier-breaking, well-digging love. And as a result, verse 30 says, the people of Sychar went out of the town and were coming to him. And in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So from living in sin, hiding in shame, to overjoyed worship and unashamed witness, this is amazing. And it's only explainable in light of a life-changing encounter with Jesus. As the text says, many believe in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. That's how powerful testimonies can be. And that's why we're having people share throughout this summer sermon series. And we hope to do much more in the years ahead. Testimonies are that powerful. Especially when they tell the story of what Jesus has done in a person's life. Uh, which is exactly what Sharon Smith is going to come up and do now. She's going to share her story of what Jesus has done in her life. Missed a message. Boy, I like that. That's great. I wish I'd thought of that. (laughs) Well, good morning. My life, um, it's really simple, and it's simply a picture of God's hand. Much like the woman that Jesus encountered at the well, she's just going about life, trying to figure out who she is and whether anyone cared about her. She had a little knowledge of God, as did I, but not enough to make much of a difference. And then Jesus came to me, not at a well, but at the end of a rope, a rope of my own making. God will come to us where we are if we watch for him. God loved this woman who was drawing water in the heat of the day, and God loved me enough to let both of us fail at life done our way. This is my story of how Jesus has changed my life for the glory of God. Honestly, it was a revelation to me that, as someone else said, I was not designed to be on my own to author my own story, to compose my own rules, to live with me at the center. It's a staggering thought that God designed me for his purpose. Only in hindsight do I see how my entire life was spent looking for my identity. I think of my life as lost and found. Only as a Christian did I realize God's love and realize that it is foundational and it is enough, it is more than enough. Psalm 107.9 For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. God wants all of us, 
and he wants us to have all of him. The only Christian influence in my childhood was my grandmother. I knew that she prayed for me, I knew that she loved me, and I knew that she loved Jesus. There is absolutely no logical reason that I would ever have known Jesus apart from her prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, she didn't live long enough to see me also come to love Jesus, and I broke her heart while she was alive. I so look forward to the day that we are reunited in eternity. The 23rd Psalm tells me that God provides everything that I need. I wish it hadn't taken me so many years to realize that truth. I sometimes think of myself as one of the characters in The Wizard of Oz trying to get on my own what I always had from God, a heart, a brain, courage, and love. I look back and see the ways that I tried to answer the subconscious questions we all ask and that only God can and has answered. Am I okay? Am I good enough? Do I measure up? I remember the many times that I changed my name in my futile efforts to answer these questions for myself. For about a year, I insisted on being called by my middle name. And then I tried variations of my first name because really, Sherry is so much more cool than Sharon. And in 1963, the Four Seasons sang about Sherry Baby. Oh, I really, really wanted to be someone's Sherry Baby. <laughs> but what I actually wanted was to know who I was, though I could not have articulated it in so many words. It took me a long time to get there. If you know the truth that you belong to God, then you don't have the need to look for belonging in all the wrong places. 1 Corinthians 1.30 reminds me that it is because of you, Father, that I am in Christ Jesus, who has become for me wisdom from you, that is my righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I did not come to know Jesus until I was 30 years old and I was at the end of my rope and living my way. There are a few principles that I believe if I had known them deeply in my heart, my life would have been spared from most of its troubles. And it would just be great if someone here could learn from my mistakes. <laughs> you cannot get first things by seeking second things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. All sin is against God. We do not sin in a vacuum. Sin is trying to get on my own what must come from God. 2 Samuel 12, 13 is David's confession when he realized that truth. No one sins to feel worse. When we choose to sin, it is because we are trying to find from sin what can be found only in God. All of our longings must be found in God before they can be found in any human relationship. Don't look to sin rather than your creator to get your needs met. Know your appetites, your vulnerabilities. In Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted by Satan in three ways. Appetite, pride, and power. If you don't know your appetite, as an example, the need for love and acceptance, then you're likely to succumb to doing life in your own strength rather than remain in God's will. Guard what goes into your mind. It matters. What we think, say, and do have consequences. And I must add that I, a lot, most of this, all of this, I have gotten from the various readings I've done over the years. Not much is an original thought with me, so I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm some great philosopher. 
But don't make things happen. Don't force any relationship. Wait and trust. Oh, I wish I'd known that. Wait and trust. Don't mess with God's timetable. If you think you are past the age where you should be married, still wait on God. If you think you are past the age where you should have children, wait on God. God knows what he's doing, and he's doing it. He has a purpose in everything that happens in our lives. I don't pretend it's easy. It's not easy, but it's right. Solomon is an example of a man who, when asked by God what he would ask of God in 1 Kings 3, he responded not with anything for himself, such as a long life or wealth or even misery to his enemies, but rather for God's wisdom, for God himself. And God honored his response by giving Solomon above and beyond all he could fathom. Leave the outcome to God. What has solidified my love for God and dependence on him is time spent in solitude, silence, and listening, journaling, recognizing God's sovereignty, and accepting his guidance, which is in short just trusting him. I have finally come to realize I do not have a better idea. For me, one of the great benefits of spending time in solitude and silence is learning to trust Jesus more, to ask him about things in life that I don't understand, about how to handle something. I even ask him how I should pray about this or that. I want to have the mind of Christ about everything rather than what I think needs to happen. I've been surprised at the difference in how I pray when I'm taking a walk and talking out loud. I just throw all kinds of things out there at God. I ask him questions. I ask him what he thinks. I pray for the people whose houses I pass, even though I don't know most of them. And my neighbors may think I'm crazy if they see me walking along with my mouth open and going a mile a minute. But maybe they'll ask me about it and open a door for me to say that I'm talking to God about them. That should get their attention. <laughs> this quote is on my bathroom mirror. Make the most important decision of all. Decide to surrender every part of your life to God's will every day. Committing to follow where he leads me with each decision that I face. Choosing to surrender my own agenda to God's will is the only way I can become the person he created me to be. I always come back to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me and for you. As Colossians 3.17 says, I'm so thankful to God for reaching out to me and bringing me into his family. I am a child of God, saved by the grace of God, through faith in the Son of God, and transformed by the indwelling Spirit of God. Thank you for allowing me to share some of my story. This is the story God wrote for me and for which I am so thankful. Thank you, Sharon. So this morning we've seen that Jesus breaks cultural barriers. This morning we've seen that Jesus digs deep wells in our hearts so that we can live lives of worship and witness that overflow with living water. So this morning, as we begin to close, I just want to lead us in a, a two-minute time of just reflection and personal prayer. Um, in your bulletin, there's some uh, questions that are along one of two lanes, and they're up on the screen here as well. 
So I'd invite all of us this morning just to take a next step. And if the Spirit's leading you to take a step towards the barrier breaking, I'd invite you to identify any attitudes in your heart, any actions in your life towards people who are different than you that are sinful. In your bulletin, there's a few more detailed questions, but but are there any groups of people with whom you choose to have no dealings? Second question, do you have friends uh, with people who, are you friends with people who are different than you? Racially different, religiously different, economically different. And if not, why not? So with the Holy Spirit's help this morning, I'd invite you to identify any barriers in your heart and ask the Lord to break them. Repent of any attitude or action that does not reflect the heart of Jesus. Or if you're led to the shovel, perhaps there's an area of sin or shame in your heart that you are just doing everything you can to hide it so that it doesn't become exposed. I'd invite you this morning with the Spirit's help to allow Him to start digging. Allow Him to get down to the core of your heart, of of who you are, so that living water can flow more deeply inside of you. And that'll transform you. You know, I think if you talk to any of the 16 people who went through the regen, the pilot group, they would tell you that as the Lord starts to dig deeper, the water starts to flow more freely. And it just changes you. You become changed from the inside out the more you give Jesus access to your heart. So I'd invite you to do that this morning and pray also. Maybe consider participating in regen this fall. So sledgehammer, shovel. Which tool do you need today, Jesus, to use in your heart and life? Spend a few minutes in prayer. Ask him to to work out these things in you and lead you. And then uh, Chris will come up and close us in a song. as you're praying, just by way of reminder, that like the woman at this well, Jesus has gone out of his way to pursue you. Jesus has broken down every barrier necessary to get to you. So may we too be barrier breakers in the world around us, that many people who are different from us might come to know Jesus and experience the living water that's found only in him. And like the woman at this well, Jesus knows the deepest, darkest parts of your heart and has seen the most sinful, shameful parts of your past. And yet he loves you and he comes to you in your mess. And he desires to set you free, to turn your mess into your message. So let him start digging. Let him change you from the inside out so you can live a life overflowing with living water. So in a spirit of prayer, let's I'd invite you to stand or sit, do whatever you need to do to allow the Lord to keep working on your heart. But we'd invite you to join and sing together as we come to the altar. I love how that song flows, the the transformation that happens within and that last verse propels us out. So I pray that that would be the case for us today. would encourage you to, to keep asking the Holy Spirit to break through the barriers that are in your heart. Ask him to keep digging the deep wells into your soul so that living water can flow in you, out of you, in worship and witness to the world all around us. My family, I love you, but my love is just a small speck compared to Jesus' love for you. So may we go forth into the week in his love.
Amen.